My next guest did a great job in his run for governor, really did an inspiring run, a tremendous campaign, nearly beat Kathy Hochul despite being outnumbered 3-1 to one in this state. Why is that? Because he's a good man, he's an honest man, he had a great message, and New Yorkers on every side appreciated what he brought to the table on a daily basis. Proud to call him a friend, my man Lee Zeldin. Lee, good morning, pal. How are you? Hey, good morning, Sid. Great to be with you. Nice to have you, too. You know, later on tonight, the tradition continues, Lee. For the third consecutive year, John and Margot Katsimatidis, I know you love them, they've invited me to light the largest menorah in the world. It's across the street from the Plaza Hotel on Fifth Avenue. You've got to take a crane up. That's how high the actual light is to light it. You are a, a proud Jewish man celebrating day two of Hanukkah, third night of Hanukkah. How cool is that? Uh, that's very cool. And uh, it's great that John and Margot do their part to uh, to promote Hanukkah, uh, it's something that for many tourists and, and others who maybe don't celebrate, uh, it's a nice little reminder of uh, how important uh, this time of year is to, to the city. And uh, we have a, a big Jewish population. I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners tuning in uh, in the middle of the, the Festival of Lights. And uh, it's a period where, you know, while you can have plenty to discuss of uh, challenges facing our our city, our state, our country, uh, it's just nice to be able to just sit back um, for a moment with family to reflect for health and happiness in the year ahead. Uh, hopefully you are having a great Hanukkah with your family. Uh-huh. And I wish you and the team a great New Year. Oh, you too, Lee. Thank you so much. And your message is uh, is appreciated. But you did talk about some of the other things going on in this city. And one of those things is this incredible rise specifically in anti-Semitic attacks. Here we are talking about Hanukkah. And Jews have become the hunted here in New York. The numbers are through the roof. I've got Dove hiking on like every every week now at this point. I did hear Commissioner Shul talk about it yesterday. Eric Adams, the mayor, he has spoken about it as well. Do you think the city is doing enough to combat this huge issue, anti-Semitic crime? Well, I, honestly, I'm one of those people who subscribe to a belief that nobody's doing enough. You, know, you can't ever do enough here. The numbers are, are headed in the wrong direction. There are uh, too many people who are committing crimes related to anti-Semitism who don't end up facing the consequences that they should for uh, their actions. And uh, Dove Hyken, uh, Americans Against Anti-Semitism, came out with a report a few years back, I'm sure he's spoken to you about it on air, that highlights how few of these crimes are actually prosecuted. And you can have some kind of a forum, a roundtable, and you could talk about your different ideas, and you can have the DAs there and, uh, and law enforcement and whatnot. But at, at the end of the day, if you really want to get serious about it, the crimes that are being committed need to, with a zero-tolerance policy, result in a bunch of people actually doing time for what are crimes. Yep. And you know, when you, you know, have somebody like uh, an Alvin Bragg, uh, giving remarks about how he had a productive meeting and talking about solutions. Now I'm past that with this guy. I mean, he made it clear out of the gate, you know, the DAs like him uh, are there as defense attorneys, not district attorneys. And there's a lot of people who uh, who are getting hurt. And this is a new day and age where folks have their their cell phones. We're seeing it on social medias, the videos of anti-Semitic attacks. And it's not something like it happens you know, once every couple of months, and then we talk about it. 
I mean, I, I've seen it in, in Brooklyn, where in particular areas, they're talking on the weekends about three violent assaults that took place just a week prior. So, no, I, I don't think that anyone is doing enough. We always have to find ways to do more because the numbers are heading in the wrong direction. Just had uh, the vice president, Mike Pence, on. Actually, your friend and mine, Lee, the great Knicks announcer and uh, NBA announcer, Mike Breen, sent me this text. He says, hello, Sid. Once at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, a couple thought I was Mike Pence. The husband said, hello, Mr. Vice President. The wife gave me a dirty look from Mike Breen. But Pence uh, did, in fact, mention you and talked about the courageous campaign that you ran. And that brings me to an Instagram message I received moments ago from a fan of the show. I want to read it to you, get your opinion. He's upset because I'm critical of Donald Trump. And he's upset because I think that maybe the moderate way is the way to win. He goes on to say, if moderate is the way to go... The Republicans will lose. Republicans win when we nominate conservatives. Reagan, Trump, and even G.W. Bush ran as conservatives. Bipartisanship is dead, period. Is this listener, Tony, correct? Well, I mean, I think there's a difference between bipartisanship and uniparty. There are people out there who are in power who think that compromise is where the other person agrees with your person, uh, your position, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's not that's not compromise. And I, and I feel like on many different issues. I mean, I've seen it through my years in service on on veterans related issues, for example. I could think of plenty of other examples where I, I had common ground on my issue, my position with a Democrat, and we work together to be able to get something good done to help veterans. Veterans of post-traumatic stress disorder in New York. We created the PFC Joseph Dwyer program, peer-to-peer support, started in four counties, expanded to over a couple dozen counties across the state. How did that happen? Republicans and Democrats working together. Now, what's different is I don't believe that the best way for Republicans to get votes from Democrats is to act like a Democrat. Don't leave voters with a choice between a Democrat and a Democrat light. What we need to be doing is articulating in particular communities that Republicans haven't gone for a really long time why it is that they should give Republicans a chance. People don't understand. Well, why is it that Democrat voter in a city where the individual, their family, their community is being harmed by Democratic policies, why are they continuing to vote Democrat? They should be voting Republican. Well, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't is what they think. And in order for Republicans to earn that relationship, you need to show up. And you need to, when you're showing up, don't pathetically pander for votes from the black community, the Asian community, the Hispanic community by saying, I love black people, vote for me. I love Hispanic people, vote for me. I love Asian people, vote for me. What you need to be doing is showing up in these communities and saying, we need to make safety on these streets better. Here's how. We need to improve the quality of education in your kid's school. Here's how. So you know, what we need to be doing is, is leaning into the cities going into areas that Republicans haven't shown up in a long time. And it's not about how we need to do better in some uniparty message or acting like a Democrat light. What we need to be doing is explaining to them why we have the positions that we do on the issues that will provide for upward economic mobility, mental health, higher quality education, safety on the streets. And For me, I, I happen to think that when you are nominating a, a presidential candidate for the 2024 elections it's not going to be the person who does the best job 
in just communicating to the base. And it's not about the person who can best communicate to people who are outside of the base or new voters. It's the individual who's willing to step up and knows how to create a movement by communicating to everyone. Next level energy from their base with the way you engage with them, but not compromising your principles. You're able to reach out to ticket splitters and people who have voted Democrat their entire life, but they say, you know what? This year I'm voting for you, and they're not doing it on a fluke. They're not doing it just because they gave up on the Democratic Party. It's because you showed up, you work hard to earn their support and build that relationship. But who is that person? Like, that's not Trump. Maybe it's DeSantis, I don't know, but does that person exist where they can deliver the Republican message, which you and I live by, but at the same time not alienate the other side to a maybe the other side considers voting for that person? Who is that person? Well, I mean, I think it's a lot about how you run a campaign. It's about time management because you're in a Republican presidential primary. You're inclined to just communicate to the base. And then you say once you get the nomination, then you're going to start communicating beyond the base. But you have 36 million registered Republicans between now and and these primaries being settled, and a lot of campaigns are inclined to be communicating to those folks. I would say that, quite honestly, they're all capable of doing it. They they really are. But you have to run a campaign where you're you're not just – some of these campaigns are white papers, no slogans. Other campaigns are slogans, no white papers. (laughs) You can have the best ideas if you have no idea how to communicate it out to the people. It doesn't matter. People can't relate to how your ideas are going to make their life better. But if you want to create a movement, it's not based off what you're against. Joe Biden's bad. Democratic Party is bad. You create a movement by saying this is what I am for. All of these candidates who are being mentioned of potential Republican presidential candidates in 24, they're all capable of this. But you have to run a campaign that is exceptionally well run, that gets it, that is putting your candidate and your candidate's message into these areas beyond just the base. All right, three minutes to go. I want to get to two more things with you, Lee. You've been very outspoken about the immigration crisis. I know Justice Roberts' Supreme Court gives us another 24 hours, so now looks like Title 42 will run out on Thursday instead of Wednesday. Either way, we're about to get hammered here in New York City and, quite frankly, many states across the country. Eric Adams wants a billion dollars. He's not going to get it. Kathy Hochul says nothing as far as I know. What would you do if, in fact, you were in power in New York to help with the migrant crisis? Well, honestly, this is first and foremost on Joe Biden's lap. And regardless of whether it's red state, blue state, red city, blue city, everyone can be totally on the same page on how to resolve this crisis at our southern border and what it's caused with new crises inside of our country. But if you're going to have the federal government, if you're going to have the Biden administration just sitting on their hands and not actually tackling it, it doesn't matter what kind of a good day you have today getting on the same page to solve. It's going to get worse tomorrow. If you're going to get rid of Title 42, you have to be replacing it with a, a strong substitute. Because you're saying, okay, there's no COVID health emergency, so we're getting rid of Title 42. But there's still a health emergency. Look at the pictures in the video of the people who are stacked up. They come across the border, and there's a health emergency when they, with catch and release. They come out across our entire country. There's a fiscal emergency, as you see shelters overrun, a housing crisis caused in New York, a strain on our education system. There's a national security crisis that is created. 
So if, if you're going to get rid of Title 42, you need to have an adequate substitute. I believe that we should finish construction of the border wall. We should end catch and release. Um, we, we should enforce the Remain in Mexico policy. We should support our Customs and Border Patrol agents, and we should stop incentivizing and rewarding illegal entry, which is one area where the state can do a much better job because the state and the city both have policies that are sanctuary state and sanctuary city policies that encourage people to come illegally. Uh, but, again, you could do everything in your power here at the state and the city level. doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. Ultimately, at the end of the day, no one's going to be able to solve this if the federal government, if the Biden administration is unwilling to do what they need to do to deal with the crisis of their making. Now, we need your voice out there, man. I mean, I don't know if you're going to go, like, do something at Suffolk County now. Last you were on, Lee. You were going to make a big announcement, and the overwhelming majority of the audience thought you were going to say you're the new RNC chair. But you came on and said, no, nah, this is pretty much rigged. Ronald McDaniel's coming back. I'm not getting that gig. So any closer to doing something else? You're too important a voice, Lee Zeldin, to not have a major job in politics. I mean that. Well, listen, I, I just plan on just sitting around and doing nothing every couple of weeks until that text comes in from Sid. Can you come on this morning? <laughs> And then, and then that sense of purpose in life, it all crystallizes. Yeah. Hey, don't, uh, by the way, don't minimize. There's like a million Amer- uh, New Yorkers listening right now going, my God, this guy's so smart. He's so good. Why did they vote for a Hulka? Why can't we have him? So uh, even though, yes, you coming on has become a very, very big deal, there may be something bigger, I think, in, in your future. No, listen, right? I, ser- seriously, I, I mean, I hear it when I, in my travels. People are always telling me, like, I, I, I love listening to you on, Sid. And you can tell by the amount of people who say that to me just how big and loyal the audience is. And what's the wildest is when I'm getting feedback from people who don't even have the, the radio connection where they live, like when they're driving in their car. And they're filling me in on all of their creative ways to figure out how to get access to the show. Uh, it's not just in the, you know, the New York City area, as, as you well know. Uh, but you know, uh, no, I, I will admit, I, I, I do love it when you tell me that you walk into Congress and Steve Scalise out of Louisiana or Jim Jordan out of Ohio are like, hey, how's my boy Sid doing? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. On the floor of the House of Representatives, conversations have started with you know, Steve Scalise asking me about Sid Rosenberg. Uh, it, it's it's pretty special, uh, you know. Really, the the, the reach that, that you have is just it's hard to be able to get to, and it, it requires many, many, many years of just of just getting it right. And uh, I'm just Thank glad you. that you uh, you lost a dear, dear friend. Yes, and and I know that. You know, is you know, a partner, and to pick yourself up, to be able to just continue to drive on, it's it's not easy. But thank God that you did, uh, and you know, we're just all very grateful that you're uh-huh. on air and you're you're pounding away and, and keeping the message out, and you're not going anywhere. And you know, as, you know, same thing for me in my own way. Listen, I'm I'm undeterred. I'm more motivated than ever to double down, triple down in my passion to do my part to be able to save this country. And you know, over the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll be announcing what I'm going to do as next moves. I'm in Congress until January 2nd, and then we'll hit the ground running after that. But you know, regardless of whether it's two months, two years, 15 years from now, the way I envision my life is one that is always finding ways to be able to help make a difference to save the city, state, and country. And when you say that, there's no doubt in anybody's mind 
you mean it. Let's people say that you actually mean it. Listen, I love you, Lee Zeldin. I want to wish you and um, your beautiful family, and they are beautiful, your wife and two daughters, happy Hanukkah, a very, very happy New Year. I won't be back until 2023. We'll talk again then. Thank you for all you've done for me on this show, coming on over the last year during your gubernatorial race, coming on afterwards. It means a lot to me and my audience. So thank you. Happy holidays. I love you. We'll talk in 2023, pal. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. You too. There he is, the great Lee Zeldin. And he'll be back, as he said, if not often, with a major announcement coming your way, possibly as early as January.